0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. Real love is
1: calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for with every sunrise. They became brutal and abusive towards the Jewish people. And when God saw that, He's like, enough. I wanted to use you as the rod of my correction, but you've gone overboard, you've mistreated them, you've abused them. And there are basically, in chapters 50 and 51, but we're gonna look in chapter 50 in particular, there are basically four sins that Babylon was guilty of. And these are the four sins, jubilance, defiance, arrogance, and dominance. God's gonna call them out on these four things.
0: In your faith journey, has God ever called you out? Have you ever known what you need to change and yet you keep letting sin fester? In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that you need to cut out all of the sin in your life that is holding you hostage. It doesn't matter how well your life is going or how you might be managing it all on your own. Put all of your struggles out in the open and be set free from the shackles of sin. God wants to set you free from your burdens. Give it all to Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah chapter 49 as he begins his message, Lessons from Babylon.
1: Join me at Jeremiah chapter 50. And while you're turning there, Just before we read from Jeremiah 50, we're going to be bringing the book of Jeremiah to a close today with a look at the final few chapters here. And as I mentioned last time, the first 45 chapters of the book of Jeremiah, God deals exclusively with the Jewish people through the prophet Jeremiah, warning them that if they don't turn from their rebellion and their idolatry, that God will bring the Babylonian nation against them. And God will use the Babylonians as a tool to discipline the Jewish people. So the first 45 chapters of the book of Jeremiah deal exclusively with the Jewish people and the warning of what would happen if they don't turn back to God. Unfortunately, the Jewish people did not heed the warnings of the prophets, Jeremiah in particular, and other prophets. And so God's warning came to be reality. The Babylonians came over a period of 20 years, eventually destroying the capital city of Jerusalem in 586 BC. At the same time, the Babylonians took thousands of Jews captive, deported them back to Babylon about a thousand miles in what is today modern Iraq. And those Jews will spend the next 70 years there until God brings them back to their homeland. It was all a process of purging them from their idolatry and their rebellion. And God would use the Babylonians to accomplish that process. That's the first 45 chapters. The last few chapters of Jeremiah that we're in now and the concluding few chapters deal with God's rebuke of the Gentile nations around Judah, which is the southern province of Israel because the reality is that the Jewish people succumbed to the bad influence of these neighboring Gentile nations. That's why the Jews got involved in idolatry, because they adopted the gods of the neighboring Gentile nations around them. And the Jewish people started worshiping these false gods. And so these Gentile nations were culpable. They were nations that God is going to judge because of their bad influence. And so Chapters 46 through the end, by the way, in your Bibles, just for those of you who particularly note these kind of things, at the end of chapter 51, it says, these are the ends of the words of Jeremiah. Chapter 52 is tagged on, and it is written by someone other than Jeremiah. Scholars don't really know who, but probably Baruch, the secretary of Jeremiah. But basically chapters 46 through 51, with the last chapter as kind of an appendix, a tag at the end, 46 to 51 deal with the rebuke of these Gentile nations around the nation of Judah. So God is going to start to rebuke the Gentile nations around Judah. And he starts in chapter 46 with Egypt. So this is the territory that he begins to rebuke. And then through the succeeding chapters, he's also going to rebuke the Philistines. They occupied a territory along the coast of the Mediterranean, along with us today, the Gaza Strip. But the ancient Philistines are not the present-day Palestinians. The Palestinians did not come from the ancient Philistines. The Philistine people have gone. We have no idea what happened to them, but they're no more. God rebukes them. God also rebukes to the north in Syria. He rebukes Damascus. It's actually a nation known by the capital city, Damascus. And then along the eastern side of the Jordan River, in what is today modern Jordan, in the country of Jordan, God is also, in the succeeding chapters in Jeremiah, going to rebuke Ammon, which is in the northern part of Jordan. He's going to rebuke Moab, which is central Jordan. He's going to rebuke Edom, which is southern Jordan. God's also going to rebuke, in those closing chapters, Kedar, which is located in the Arabian desert. He's going to go even further east. He's going to rebuke the country of Elam, which occupies southern Persia, which today is Iran. So the southern part of Iran and then the last two chapters that we're going to look at today 50 and 51 with the exception of 52 Which again is like an appendix god spends the closing chapters And he's going to deal with babylonia the empire of babylonia the capital city of babylon This is where the jews will be deported the thousand miles king nebuchadnezzar will take them back to the ancient city of babylon They'll spend the next 70 years there, but god saves his final rebuke in the book of jeremiah For the Babylonians in these closing chapters. Now question, why, if it was God's will, and it was God's will, to use the Babylonians as the instrument of his discipline to correct the Jewish people because of their rebellion and their idolatry, why then would he turn around and punish the Babylonians, the very people that he used for his purposes? I mean, God chose them and he used them. Why would he now choose to punish them? We're going to talk about this a little bit, but for those of you who have a real high fairness meter in life, and you know who you are, all right, these are those of you who your mantra in life is, that's not fair, that's not fair, that's not fair. Okay, you need to get over that because there's a lot that isn't fair in life. But for those of you who are like, you have the fairness meter, this story is just going to like blow your fairness meter off the charts. You're like, this isn't fair. I mean, God used the Babylonians and now He's rebuking them. So let me illustrate it this way and then it'll make more sense a little bit later. Let's just say you are having dinner at your house and you invite a friend over for dinner. And while you're having dinner with your friend, your dog is destroying your kitchen. Got into the trash, just trash strewn all over the kitchen. You come into this mess and you say to your friend, Hey, I'm going to clean up all this mess. In the meantime, would you mind just roll up a newspaper and swat Rocky on the behind, would you? And so your friend does, you're cleaning up the trash, and then you turn to your friend and you're like, hey, wh- hey what are you doing? Uh, I'm just swatting Rocky. Why, why would you do that? Uh, you asked me to? What kind of a friend are you? <laughs> okay, and so some of you are like, this is that kind of story. Well, there's more to the dog story. I'm going to get back to it in just a minute, but let's first read here. And then it'll make more sense. Jeremiah 50, look at the first three verses. This is the word the Lord spoke through Jeremiah the prophet concerning Babylon and the land of the Babylonians. Announce and proclaim among the nations. Lift up a banner and proclaim it. Keep nothing back, but say, Babylon will be captured. Bel will be put to shame. Bel was one of the false gods of Babylon. Marduk, another name for Bel, filled with terror. Her images will be put to shame, and her idols filled with terror. A nation from the north will attack her and lay waste her land. No one will live in it. Both men and animals will flee away. So God prophesies about the destruction of Babylon. It's going to be laid waste. Jump further in chapter 15. Look at verse 17 and 18 with me. Verse 17 and 18. He says, Israel is a scattered flock that lions have chased away. Talking about the Babylonians being the lions. The first to devour him was the king of Assyria. The last to crush his bones was Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I punish the king of Assyria. Let's pause there and pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for this time we can gather in your house now and open up the Bible and study your word together. And I thank you for what you would want to say to each of us today. I pray that we would be receptive to the still small voice of your Holy Spirit, and that we would take to heart these things as they might apply to our own lives today. Thank you for using an ancient text with modern truth that is timeless for our lives, Lord. So thank you for all those who are gathered here. I thank you for those who are watching online. We just commit it all to you now, Lord. Be glorified, we pray, and use this to strengthen our own hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. All right, first a little historical context about the ancient capital city of Babylon, the capital city of the Empire of Babylonia. Babylon located about 75 miles due south of modern-day Baghdad. Uh, Babylon reached the pinnacle of its prosperity and success during the days of King Nebuchadnezzar, the guy who comes in this story and attacks uh, Judah and takes Jews captive. So we're talking the mid-6th century BC when Babylon was at her pinnacle. In the days of King Nebuchadnezzar, the population of the ancient city of Babylon estimated to be about 500,000 people. That is about 100,000 more than the population of all of Loudoun County. And Herodotus, who was an historian who lived during the waning days of the Babylonian Empire, he writes about just the splendor, of Babylon. So we have an extra biblical, it's not a contradictory aspect of the Bible, but just outside of scripture, we have an historian, Herodotus, who writes about Babylon and helps us understand just some of the greatness of that city. And what Herodotus tells us is that the walls around Babylon, 30 stories high, we're talking 300 feet, and he measured them at 87 feet thick. Herodotus says that the Babylonians would have chariot races on top of the city walls and it could accommodate six chariots abreast. So that's the volume of these walls and the strength of these walls. It was considered in the day a pretty impenetrable city. It measured 15 miles like a square, 15 miles by 15 miles by 15 miles by 15 miles. So 60 miles in circumference. And the city of Babylon was situated along the Euphrates River in what is today modern Iraq. And the Babylonians diverted a portion of the Euphrates River and used it as a moat around the city of Babylon. And they diverted some of it under the city walls of Babylon so it would come up into the city and kind of meander beautifully through the whole city of Babylon. Now keep that in mind, that it went under the city walls and into the city, because that plays into what happens historically in, in the future here. And so this is how Herodotus describes the city of Babylon. And of course, we know from our own school days that the hanging gardens of Babylon, which flourished under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, the same time period, was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So that's Babylon. In the Bible, Babylon is a significant city. Babylon is mentioned 164 times just in the book of Jeremiah in the whole Bible, it's mentioned 260 times. So obviously the majority of those references are right here in the book of Jeremiah. There are more references to the city of Babylon than any other city in the Bible next to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the most mentioned city in the Bible. Next to Jerusalem is Babylon, mentioned more than any other city throughout the Bible. So it's significant, and it is portrayed in scripture as often the opposite of Jerusalem. Jerusalem in Hebrew is Yerushalayim. It means the city of peace. Babylon is basically the city of evil, where Jerusalem is the city where God is exalted. Christ is sacrificed. So it's a picture of good and salvation. Babylon is a picture of opposition to God. In fact, the first reference to Babylon in the Bible is Genesis chapter 10. We are introduced to the Tower of Babel. That's Babylon. The Tower of Babel happened at this location. It was when people built a tower or a ziggurat because they wanted to be able to get up to the heavens and worship the starry hosts. The beginning of occult worship happened in this city. The last time that Babylon is mentioned in your Bibles is Revelation 17 and 18. So we haven't seen the end of Babylon, it rises from the ashes. And Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18 represents one world government, one world economy, and one world religion. And God comes against it once again. But what we're reading here in Jeremiah is the initial demise of the city of Babylon. And God projects it and God speaks of it because it's part of his judgment. It will come to pass. In 539 BC, the Medes and the Persians link up together and they conquer the city of Babylon. And here's how they do it. They conquer it without a single death or without firing a single arrow. They do it at night under the cover of darkness. The Medes and the Persians dam up the Euphrates River upstream. And then they crawl under the city wall on the dry riverbed of the Euphrates. They enter the city of Babylon and they take it. In a night and god prophesied it god says an army from the north is going to come god raises up kings and deposes them friends and when god was done with the babylonians god raised up the medes and the persians which leads us back to our original question why did he punish the babylonians if in fact he willfully chose to use them as the rod of his discipline to the jewish people it doesn't seem to make sense does it well let me go back to the dog illustration to help us understand how it makes sense all right you're in cleaning up your garbage on the kitchen floor Your friend over there is taking care of Rocky. But the problem is, all you asked him to do, your friend, was to roll up a newspaper, swat him once. Your friend is in the other room mistreating your dog. Went way overboard. That's what's happening in our story. The reason why God is grieved with the Babylonians is because they overplayed their hand. And they overextended their authority. They became brutal and abusive towards the Jewish people. And when God saw that, he's like, enough. I wanted to use you as the rod of my correction, but you've gone overboard. You've mistreated them. You've abused them. And there are basically in chapters 50 and 51, but we're going to look in chapter 50 in particular. There are basically four sins that Babylon was guilty of. And these are the four sins, jubilance, defiance, arrogance, and dominance. God's going to call them out on these four things and we would do well To avoid these things. So let me start with the first one. They were first guilty. Their first sin here was jubilance. Now, jubilance just means to be happy. I mean, jubilance just means to be overjoyed about something. So I know right now some of you are thinking, is jubilance a sin? What kind of a church is this? Is it wrong to be happy, Pastor G? I hope not. (laughs) If it's a sin, I'm on my way to hell. I mean, you know, thanks be to God who saved me because jubilance is not a sin by itself, except in one form. There's one form of jubilance that is a sin, and it is when you are jubilant over the misfortune of others. That's what Babylon was guilty of. They were guilty of rejoicing over the misfortune of the Jewish people. I want to point it out to you right here in chapter 50. Look at verses 11 through 13. Verse 11, because you rejoice and are glad, God says to them, you who pillage my inheritance, Because you frolic like a heifer, threshing grain and neigh like stallion. you Get the imagery there of the animals that are just like rejoicing, kicking up their heels, frolicking and neighing. They're happy about all this. So he says, your mother will be greatly ashamed and she who gave you birth will be disgraced. He's talking about using a female gender, just the nation in general, Babylon. She will be the least of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, a desert. Because of the Lord's anger, she will not be inhabited, but will be completely desolate. All who pass Babylon will be horrified and scoff because of all her wounds. Is it true or false? Is Babylon today just rubble? It's true. Babylon today is just rubble. Saddam Hussein had a vision for rebuilding Babylon. Kind of never got around to it. Oops. But anyway, that's another story. Saddam Hussein actually saw himself as the revised Nebuchadnezzar. Saddam Hussein had a coin minted with his image on one side of the coin and Nebuchadnezzar's image on the other side of the coin. He saw himself as a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar. He had a dream to rebuild Babylon. Babylon will again one day be rebuilt, because as I mentioned, we see it resurfacing in Revelation 17 and 18. But what God prophesies here ends up happening. It ends up being destroyed. The point of this jubilance over the misfortune of others is this. God frowns upon any of us, who rejoice over the misfortune of others. You say, well, I don't do that. I'm glad. Good. But what about when somebody mistreats you? Somebody does you wrong, and then some little misfortune happens to them. Let's just be honest. Is there a little tiny bit of you? Somebody who's done you wrong, and then somebody does them wrong. Is there a little tiny bit of you, just way down deep, that smiles with delight? Come on, let's be honest about this. Let me just illustrate it in kind of a simple way. Um, Let's just say you're stuck in traffic, bumper-to-bumper traffic, all right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have a commute into D.C. or out of D.C., you're in bumper-to-bumper traffic, you're holding on to your salvation for all you can, right? And you're going to be late, and you're furious inside, and you're just like, oh, I can't believe this. And then some bozo starts driving fast on the shoulder Right just driving fast on the shoulder, which is illegal and you're just like, oh look at that You know and here you are trying to be this good law-abiding citizen Just sitting out in the traffic bumper to bumper. Well you inch up inch by inch You finally get a mile down the road and that car that passed you on the shoulder is now pulled off by a cop (laughs) Now what's your reaction? Oh, Lord, I just pray for that brother or sister. (laughs) Okay, wait, you wouldn't have your eyes closed. You're driving. You're just like, Lord, have mercy upon them. And may that police officer treat them fairly and nicely. Of course you're not like that. You're looking over waving as you drive by. You're like, see ya, wouldn't want to be a sucker. You know, that's what you're doing. Don't give me that look like I would never do that. Of course you would. Now, I'm going to tell on myself, and if you want to tell me your story between services, I'll use yours for the last service. But I'm going to tell on me. Many years ago, a pastor on our staff, he'll tell you this really happened. This is like 20 years ago. He had just come on staff, all right? And he and I were going somewhere, I think a hospital visit, visiting somebody. And we're driving back on Route 7, coming back to church. And there was a guy who many years ago uh, just did me wrong. Okay. People do people wrong all the time. I'm guilty of it myself at some point in my life. I know, but there's a guy who had done me wrong. Mike knew about it too. And as we're driving, we come to a stoplight on route seven and I look over and here's this guy who had done me wrong and he's driving a pickup truck. And in the back of his pickup truck, he has a bunch of lumber. And the tailgate's down. And I just look at him and I am like, oh, that's that. Okay. And so I'm having one of those prayer moments, you know. And Mike's just talking to me. He doesn't notice, right? Well, as the light turns green, I'm like, I'm just taking off because I don't want to have to deal with, you know, just kind of being next to him and driving side by side on Route 7. So I take off. He takes off. And when he takes off, all of the lumber spills out of the back of his pickup truck all over Route 7, right? Now, what do you think I did? I did not say to Mike, you know, Mike, the Christian thing would be, we need to go help that brother load the lumber in the back of the door. I took off, friends. I just took off. And as I'm taking off, Mike looks over and he says to me, wasn't that so-and-so back there? I'm like, oh, hmm. Wow. We got to go, Mike. I didn't stop because inside I'm thinking, "Mm -hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pick up your own lumber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying that was right. I'm just saying, listen, we do this kind of thing. And the reason we tend to do this is because either A, we think that they deserve it, or B, we think we're better than they are. And neither one is right. Neither one is right. Proverbs 17, 5 says, whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. Proverbs 24, 17 to 18 says, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice or the Lord will see and disapprove. Obadiah 1 verse 12 says you should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune or rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction or boast so much in the day of their trouble. Another way of saying all this is God does not like cheering from the sidelines when someone, even someone who has done you wrong, experiences misfortune of their own. We must never celebrate another's misfortune or rejoice over their troubles. The next time you think to yourself, "Well, they got what they deserve," you just remember Jesus Christ died on a cross so that you wouldn't get what you deserve, so that I wouldn't get what I deserve.
0: Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the Book of Jeremiah, known as the Weeping Prophet. He was only 20 years old when he began his prophetic life, though not specifically mentioned it is believed he would have followed the life of a pastor, and because of his young age he was not always well received. No doubt this influenced his writings, and because of their heavy and often negative tone, he earned his title as the Weeping Prophet. However, this did not stop him and he went on to prophesy the many truths that the people of Jerusalem needed to hear. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to The Weeping Prophet Jeremiah today on Cornerstone Connection. You go, but still you know